weekly Legion of Myth live stream. This is Brett Hugendahl-Grissmer. Hello, everyone. And with me, special guest co-host, Sean Cthulhu-Law-McKinney. Say hello. Hello, everybody. That was great. Uh, normally, Garthon will be here with us, but uh, he is uh, in an undisclosed country running from the law. I believe it was drug traffic? No. Weapons trafficking. That's what it is. And uh, Elgarian would be here with us today, but he fell off a cliff and he died, so there's that. I heard that it was actually bioweapons, some kind of new thing where it was sort of like a drug and sort of like a WMD. Yeah, that, that sounds like that, yeah. But I want everyone not to worry. Uh, he did uh, pre-record his, uh, his uh, comic pull for us because he, he smelled the feds sniffing on him. So uh, we'll have that as a pre-recording. But don't worry, we're, if we disagree with something, we'll pause it, and we'll tell them how we feel. And if he doesn't have a chance to respond, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. So uh, what we have coming up today is uh, we have My Heathen Dogma, part two of Shadowrun Magic. Now, uh, part one was three weeks ago instead of two weeks ago, but we had our special 100th anniversary episode. If you haven't seen it, check it out on YouTube. And then we have the pre-recorded Garthon's comic bowl where he will uh, he will tell us about Superman number 18, Dead No More, the clone conspiracy, and America number 1. Apparently that's been that's been pretty hot the last few months. Uh, Marvel has been uh, has been really pushing this one. And then at, and then after that we have the RNG where uh, Sean and I will just spill out whatever in our heads to for the entire internet to see and hear. So, that sounds great. I can say as far as America goes, I haven't read that book, but uh, I know Miss America was a character in a series a few years ago called The Young Avengers. That was a really, really excellent series that I, I liked a lot. Okay, well, uh, I uh, I listened to the comic book beforehand, and I think, uh, yeah, you're going to want to tell people how to get in touch with that book. Okay. And we have now a disclaimer. Uh, the opinions expressed in this episode are solely the opinions of the individual commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasional use of foul or offensive language. Thank you for your understanding and continued viewership. Uh, wait, wait a sec, Ethan Dog. Yeah. Um, some of the things I say are true, and since they're true things, that would mean that they'd either have to represent your views, or you'd be out of touch with reality. So, are you saying the Legion of Myth is sometimes out of touch with reality? I'm saying that, uh, uh, like most people in the world, we, we follow the uh, political definition of truth. And the political okay. definition of truth <laughs> is... Now what... you're just trying to be funny, right? No, I'm serious. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we do. The political definition of truth is the, whatever, whatever information is best for us at the moment. Okay. All right. Now, uh, you, can, you can see us on our website, legionmyth.tv. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube, uh, slash legionmyth. And twitch.tv Legion Myth, which you're watching us on right now. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook.com slash Legion Myth. Uh, you can messenger m.me at slash Legion Myth and Twitter at Legion of Myth. Oops. Now, uh, like I said, the first segment, ta da! Heathen Dog Shadowrun Extravaganza of Excitement. Uh, based on first and second edition rules is very important because uh, later editions, they, they rework the structure of some things, the mechanics, how they work, but I try to stay above that, and uh, 
I'll give you a general broad strokes, the feel of the world, basically how everything works, and that really hasn't changed. So throughout all the editions, they they've uh, um, haven't haven't retconned anything. They've only added to the story, which is really great. I really like that. And I remember when I played years ago, uh, first and second edition blended together pretty seamlessly. It was just really, if I remember correctly, some actual nice streamlining in the rules. Yes, and combat actually. Combat was improved immensely. Really sped up the game. Really liked it. Yeah. Now, let's get into Astral Space. That's right. Well, what is Astral Space, you might ask? What is Astral Space? Astral Space is a dimension that, when it is attached to ours, allows magic to flow from it to our reality. Meaning that if, if Astral Space is not connected to our space magic can't come in. We, magic doesn't exist. Uh, magic in uh, both Earthdawn and Shadowrun follow a 5,000 year cycle. 5,000 years you have magic, and that's when astral space is, is close enough to touch our dimension. And then 5,000 years without magic where astral space goes away. It's kind of like a tide, an ebb and flow of a tide. For our viewers listening at home, is it safe to imagine the kind of astral space you see in like Doctor Strange to get the right idea? Uh, if you're talking about, uh, if you've seen Doctor Strange, you're talking about the mirror dimension, then it's close. Little different, but you're on the right path. All right, and, uh, and okay. I'm, yeah, I'm going to get into that when I uh, later on in these slides when I get into astral projection and astral sensing. Now, uh, astral space is the only way to travel to other realms that also attach to it. There are there are other other what you call prime realities realities where living physical things exist and the only way to get there is through astral space and if astral space doesn't touch that dimension well you just can't get there from here okay yeah uh, astral sp- in astral space all process material like uh, concrete glass um, uh, uh, steel stuff like that is not solid only natural objects like dirt rock trees Living people, people, they're solid. Yep, uh, and an astral being, if it's not, if it's not a, a natural object or a living thing, can just pass right through it. So security is basically non-existent in, in that in that regard. You know, an astral an astral form can just walk right through any wall, no matter how thick it is, how much armor it had. It doesn't really matter. That's 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 for the meat people. You're 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 a, you're an astral being now. You just psh, walk right through that stuff. Stop me if I'm jumping ahead, but would I be right in assuming that there are defenses you can have in astral space? Like, you don't have to actually make all of your rooms out of wood. You could have some kind of symbol or spells on walls to keep people out even in astral space? Yes, there are barriers. Uh, the actual uh, mana barrier spell that, uh, that you can keep up or make, make permanent in an area, and it creates a, it creates a bubble of... Uh, uh, um, going from the center of the casting, and no spell, or astral, or spirit, or astral being can actually see in, uh, go in, or affect anything inside this bubble. Now you can always break it. You know you astrally attack it, and if you win, it breaks, and then you can pass through. But uh, the moment it gets attacked, the caster is alerted that his barrier is being attacked. So if you're going stealthy, that's not the way to do it. Okay, so curious about something. Shoot. Could you use, um, could you fire rounds that either, well, 
where the projectile was natural, like wood, like a dummy, or even mercury, which is a naturally occurring substance. Could you fire those as projectiles to damage that kind of a barrier and, and get in? No. No, the, the reason being is because uh, those, those are natural things, true. But uh, it, if this is a mana barrier, it only stops astrals, astral things or spells, which means your physical bullet would pass right through no matter what it was made of. The, uh, the, this is an astral barrier yeah. stopping magic or astral, astral uh, uh, I don't know, snoopers from okay. entering your area. So your regular wall would stop even natural stuff, presumably. Yeah, yeah, the regular wall is going to stop the bullet. Is... You got this up to stop everything else. Okay. And then we go into astral space itself. Astral projection. Magicians, and that's uh, both hermetic and shamans can do this, uh, can separate their astral selves from their physical body and zoom around astral space. And I'm not kidding when I say zoom, because you move at your base magical attribute, which is usually six, times 1,000 kilometers per hour. That sounds really fast. That is really fast. That's super fast. Crazy, crazy fast. Now, um, there are there are limitations, obviously. Uh, you cannot affect the physical world while you are you're in your astral form. You can't pick up anything. Um, uh, you, you can't read any electronics. The screens would just be blank. I mean, you, you could see the data pad or the computer screen, but it'd be nothing on it because electrical impulses do not trans translate in natural space. A, a lot of, a lot of uh, game masters allow you to, uh, to read the written word, like a book that's open to a page. You can read that page. Or someone scra scrawls down a note, you may be able to read that. But uh, looking at, at real space, physical space, while you're in natural space, everything's a little fuzzy. Uh, things that haven't moved for a long time or are permanent structures are much clearer. Because they, they have more time to make an imprint in astral space. But uh, some guy opens the door, uh, walks through the room, and closes the door again. You're going to see him, clearly, because he's a living being. You know, you may not be able to make out his face, but you know that's a guy. And from his, from his outline, you can say, oh, that's a dwarf or a troll or whatever. But uh, the door opening and closing is going to be a flicker of nothing. I mean... It, it was just it was it, the the door being opened wasn't long it wasn't open long enough to really translate over into astral space well okay and uh, you can't you can't cast any spells from astral space to physical space without some kind of anchor so you got you you go in your astral body and you leave your room you go outside and you see like there are twenty bikers preparing to invade your your place. You pissed them off, you did something, you stole their drugs, their ladies, whatever. Uh, there's nothing you can do about that from astral space. You can't cast a spell on these guys. Because there is no way for your spell to jump the divide between astral space and physical space. Unless one of them was, all, was astrally perceiving or had a magic item called, called a focus attached to them. You can use that focus, which has which has a, a presence both in astral and in physical space as an anchor point. You shoot it at, at that, it'll translate through that item into his body. But bikers usually aren't super magical. They usually deal with bullets. So you better get back in your body and get a plan B. Now, speaking of getting back what? in your body, you got to find it. Okay, now... Hold it, on a sec. I had a question. Okay, go um, ahead. What about 
transmission of information in and out of astral space. Because you said you can't cast any spells, you can't do anything, but you're talking about being able to see. And so I was wondering, can you, even if you can't, you know, generate force between astral space and regular space without a foci or some other right. sort of anchor, can you transmit information back and forth? No, you can't speak. You, you, you obviously can't use any kind of telepathy spell or extrasensory spell on someone else because just, you know, what I just told you, you can't actually target them. They're, they're, they're beyond your reach for a spell at this point. Uh, so, no. I mean, all, all Could you the... have, like, a... No, go ahead. But could you have, like, a, a friend, a companion set up with a foci that would allow you two to communicate so you could sort of do, you know, recon that is while doable. in astral yes, space? That, that is definitely doable. Yeah, you have you have a guy in astral form. He, he does a quick reconnoiter around where you're going to go, and he comes back. His his body's safe in the truck, and uh, he he's there. You're the little the little uh, astral guy on your shoulder. As 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 long as your focus is active, he can he can use uh, extrasensory perception spells through to to give you information through that. So yeah, okay. that's definitely that's cool. Now let, let's say that uh, they they uh, go in this this hypothetical group uh, gets into some trouble, has to boogie out. They get in the they get in the truck and and haul butt. Now, the astral form guy hasn't gotten back to his body yet. This is a problem. Now, if your body doesn't move, it stays at the exact, exact same physical location, you have a 100% chance of finding it. You just go back to it, and you can get right back in. But even if you move it simply to another room, you lost your lock on it. It's gone. You've got to start searching for it. Now, if you do not find your body in time, you're in trouble because your time is not on your side. You have your essence rating in hours of being in astral space if you if that if that expires you lost the connection to your body forever and you die so you when gotta, you say die what does that mean in this context I mean, your, your body dies and your astral form dissipates you dead that's in all. in this world is there like another dimension your consciousness goes to or anything like that they or don't get into that super metaphysical what happens after after death thing they just don't they don't touch it with a 10 foot pole because that's that's, that's like the the uh, third rail of universal gaming if you want if you want to appeal to a broad base of people you don't talk about uh actual politics that's happening now or religion so it's like polite conversation yes basically that so you have to find your body before your timer runs out or you're done now this astral projection astro, not astral, I, I did this wrong it's astral it's astral sight actually astral assessment um, you, you just want a quick peek you don't want to leave your body you just want to look around what's happening in astral space right around you that's great you can do that you just focus your eyes on astral space any magician can do this uh, this allows you to see astral without leaving your body in astral space, you can sense people and objects and astral space itself. Like, uh, um, you, th you think that somebody's following you in astral space. You, you sense. You, you tune your eyes to astral space, and you look around. Oh, my God, there's a guy right there. He's messing with me. You can cast on him because you, you exist now in astral space and physical space at the same time, which means also he can cast on you. It, uh, uh, okay. a, yeah, a sensing astral space is the same thing as having that active focus. Your 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 astral eyes are now a link to your physical body, so he can attack you okay. now, but you can also attack him. Before you couldn't attack him, but obviously you couldn't even see him. 
Yeah, that. So, the, so go ahead. I'm, again, I might be jumping ahead, but I'm thinking about it's one thing if it's two humans or, or two humanoids, but what about if you encounter a beastie? Do beasties are they different in astral space? Is there is there sort of physical magical power somehow? Sort of um, is there an analog in astral space? Uh, well, I, the uh, the first the first example I think of in my head is a spirit. A spirit in astral space will look a little bit different than when when it when it manifests physically. It'll look more pure because they are astral entities. So um, if you're being attacked by a, by a hearth spirit, you know it will look how you, the the ideal of a hearth spirit it will look like that in astral space. But in physical space, it will look like a a wavy outline generally resembling that ideal uh if you if you're if you look in astral space and you see a fire elemental it will look like this this beautiful uh, uh, uh mystical beautiful look looking looking uh fire fire demon god thing but in physical space when it physically manifests it'll just be a, a vague pillar of fire you know and and yes uh um spirits cannot attack you either from astral space Unless you have a focus or a sensing or are projecting, but once once you either projecting or a sensing astral space, not only can it attack you, but you can attack it. It without doing that, it would have to manifest physically to attack you, and it has a host of powers to do that with, depending on what kind of spirit it is. But in an astral space, uh, the, the the fights are. Um, the, all the all in first and second edition, all their dice are based on how powerful they're, they're, of a spirit they are. Okay. Their, their their rank, like if it's a we'll see rank one spirit, um, you just kind of punch it in the face and it dies. If it's a if it's a titan rank twelve spirit, then it's got twelve dice to roll against you for every action. It's got the equivalent of twelve strength, twelve quickness, um, twelve twelve stamina, twelve intelligence, to everything. I mean, it, it's its rank is everything. Okay. Could you just say when, if ever, a PC would want to have combat in astral space, or, or would they never? No, no. You uh, sometimes it's a necessity. Like if you have a spirit following you, it's going to report back to its boss on where you've been and what you've done. You can't have that if you want to do stuff in secret. So you got to fight it. You either have to go in astral space or sense it if it's if it's in visual range, and attack it and destroy it. Or drive it off, so you can you can continue about your your stealthy ways. Okay. Or uh, uh, along with the mana berry we talked about earlier, if you want protection, they also have spirits roaming the area, pr- protecting the area. If you want to get in there, you either have to slip past a spirit, which is really hard because they're they, they were told to guard this area. They don't like fall asleep or take take smoke breaks. You know, they just this is what they are. This is their purpose. They do their purpose. So getting getting past a spirit guard is hard. So usually you have to kill it. That's just the way it goes. Okay. Now the the third kind of uh, of magic using person in in uh, uh, Shadowrun is a physical adept. Now a physical adept is very very similar to uh, a, a discipline in Earthdawn. Uh, all of your magical energy is focused into your body, your your physical body making vast improvements in both form and function. Uh, for example, you can use magic to improve their, your reaction time. You actually increase your reaction time beyond human maximum. 
You can increase your strength beyond your racial maximum. You can even surround your fists in an aura of magic, causing increased and lethal damage instead of just stun. Usually punches and clubs and stuff like that, it's just stun damage. If you get enough stun damage, you lose consciousness, and if someone keeps punching you, that becomes physical damage and you can die from it, just like in real life. But uh, for uh, this power called killing hands, you, you pump magic into your fists or your feet, you know, depending, and you hit someone, that magic just doesn't do stun. It goes straight to the physical, so you just start breaking bones right away. And they, they have other powers. They have... Uh, um, they, they can actually buy uh, the ability to sense astral space. They can never leave their body, but they can see astral space. They can get an ability that um, de decreases the amount of damage they take when they do take damage. Uh, My recollection with the adept is that it's basically like you get to play the the kung fu movie superhero type guy. Like you get to be like a Jet Li, Bruce Lee, super badass kind of guy. Yes, yes, and we're, we're talking Jet Li in black mask not jetly in real life right exactly like exactly. you can maybe yeah, you get to be that. fly and punch faster than shadows exactly cool, exactly. cool now, stuff like that uh, someone who doesn't who doesn't know about uh, uh, black mask you should really 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 watch it it's phenomenal it's a phenomenal movie yeah it was a lot of fun I, I think there's a sequel but i've never seen the sequel i don't know if it's any good i didn't want to i didn't want to jinx it so, oh, it's like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, but the first one's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Freaking awesome. Love it. Actually, you could think about Jet Li in The One, which wasn't as good, but I still liked it. But it also had him having straight-up superhuman powers. Yes, yes. Uh, that, 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 was a, that was a physical app that's been around a long time and has, uh, quote-unquote, leveled up quite a bit. But, yeah, same. Yeah, towards same, the Yeah, it's a, the same idea. Now... Magic items. Magic items are fun. Uh, the most common magic item is called a focus. There are several flavors of focus. There's a spell focus. Either, uh, it gives more power to certain spells or even a single spell. It's only useful for, say, healing magic or uh, combat magic or illusion magic. Or even, uh, if you want to go the really cheap route, it's only good for fireball or only good for clairvoyance or only good for heal wounds, you know, like specific spells. Then you have the power focus. A power focus is a general all gives power to all spells and other aspects of magic. You can actually use it to, to, to fuel other things. But it'll work with any spell. And uh, the rank of the focus temporarily increases your own magic attribute in terms of what level of spells is safe for you. Like say you have a, uh, a magic rating of 6. And for some reason, you learned Fireball at rank 10. Well, every time you cast Fireball at rank 10, uh, you have to take Drain, and the Drain is going to be physical, not stun, because it's above your mag because the power is above your magic attribute. If you have a rank 5 fo power focus, all said and done, your your magic as as it, as it pertains to Drain is now 11. Which means all that drain from from fireball is now is now stun damage instead of physical damage, which is great. Then there's weapon focus. This is the focus that the physical apps love, because weapon focuses they don't help spells at all, but uh, they have they have the ability of I didn't put it in the slide I should have done that but uh, let's say you have a weapon focus five which is horribly expensive good luck getting that but anyway you have five 
and uh, it's in the hands of a physical adept, and he has uh, he has sword at say rank seven. Well, he yeah he can add five more dice to either his sword attack or his sword damage. Not only that, it can now affect beings in astral, because it is it is a it is it's a magical item. If if he can sense them, if he can see them, he can attack them with this sword. And if you have a magician who has a weapon a, a weapon focus he can take it with him with his astral body because it is a magical item. It, it, it projects into astral space when the, uh, when, when the mage does. So for this, what counts as a weapon? Like the obvious distinction would be our projectile weapons and, and guns, no, do negative, those kind of weapons? Negative. There is no magical projectile weapon. It's all hand What weapons. about... Um, what about, you know, knives that are cybernetic, like you know, Wolverine-style claws and st- or finger claws, stuff like that. They cannot be uh, we- weapon focuses. Weapon focuses have to have, have a special have a special process to make, and they cannot be permanently attached to anything else. They have to be separate, uh, se- a separate individual thing, or else they lose their magic. So you, you you can't you can't make magic knives and then attach them to your hand. Now they're a part of you. Okay. You had to pay essence for it, which means they're a part of you, so they it loses their magic. That's just the way it is. So can you lose one? Like, could I steal your yes, you can steal it. weapon foci, and then I can use it? And that's horrible, because a focus, you have to attune yourself to a focus, which means you are connected to it. If someone steals that, they can cast through that focus and hit and hit you no matter where you are in the world. You're always considered holding it when when it comes to stuff like that. So okay. um, mages and physical adepts they keep their focuses close and do not let them go. And the last type of focus is a spirit focus. Uh, this is the same thing as a as a power focus, except it only works in anything to do with a spirit: summoning, fighting, banishing, whatever. All those other ones don't do anything for spirit. You have to have the spirit focus itself to do anything with summoning or fighting or banishing spirits. That's how those those are your, those are your main magical items, right there. Okay. And now we will get to your magic attribute. Uh, your magic attribute uh, normally for oh, all all the all the player races is starts off at six. Uh, heathen dog. Yes. Can. So who can use a focus? So for example, you know, one of the earlier slides, I think the adept slide you pointed out that, you know, studying's for losers or something, like the motto of the adept. Could a non-mage, or um, I forget the two types of magic, could somebody who's not either one of those magic users have um, foci that would allow them to sort of emulate a mage, like say, you, you said you can have a very specific spell no, for a fireball or something. Saying, uh, before I answer, I'd like to uh, say uh, hello to uh, Azure Worm sixty six. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, no, uh, a mundane, someone who is not magically active, cannot use a focus except for if it's a dagger, he can he can stab somebody. That's it. Okay. Yeah. It, it gives him no bonuses. It gives him no special ability. Nothing. And on top of that, even if you are magically active, you have to connect yourself to the focus to activate it. Uh, the, this, the, this connection uh, is kind of like uh, you're, you're plugging uh, uh, you into, into this item to power it. You are, you are the magical battery that powers this item. If you're not plugged into it, you can't use it. 
If someone else is plugged into it, you got to break their connection to start your own. Okay. All right, now, magic attribute. Here we go. Uh, your magic attribute determines the limit of your magical power. It can be raised and lowered. If it never reaches zero, no more magic for you. At, if at any moment your magic hits zero, even if it's just for a second, you're done. You're done. No more magic for you. It's never coming back. All right? The most common ways to lose points of magic attribute is deadly damage. If you take deadly damage and have to be resuscitated, there is a chance, you have to roll, there's a chance that you lose a point of magic from great trauma to your body. Now, this, this chance is increased if lots of synthetic medicine is used to bring you back. So most mages wear like the little medic alert bracelet that says, oh, I'm a mage, you, you, you have to use the old tiny stuff. So does that mean, like, you know, if I, I lose a limb, like I step on a mine or something, that kind of injury is going to impair my magic power as well? Is that what you're saying? Not the loss of the limb per se. I mean, some some people uh, get, get a limb cut off. They're traumatized, sure, but, you know, they have a, they have enough wherewithal to, like, take off their belt, make, make a tourniquet, and, and walk to get help. That guy probably did not suffer deadly damage. I'm talking you, you, you take so much damage that you lose consciousness and are on the brink of death. Then you got to roll. Okay. Yes. And the next most most popular way to lose magic points is cyberware. Cy uh, magic and essence are inexorably linked. Let's say you get a data jack. Let's say it's 0.2 essence. Well, your essence went, went from 6 to 5.8. Well, sorry, bud. Uh, your magical attribute doesn't do points. Anything below, uh, and if your essence goes go, goes below six, if for anything of any level, it rounds down to the nearest whole number. So your magic attribute's now five. Okay. okay. So if you're gonna get something that only takes up point two or something, you might as well fill it up and yeah, yeah, you might as well get take one. a whole point. Yeah, because it's for your for your magic, it's the same thing. But psychologically, that's a slippery slope. You know, you start getting cyberware, it starts feeling good to use it. You're like, oh, one little more thing. Oh, I lost another point. That's okay. I, I, I just picked up a power focus. It's almost like I didn't lose it. Now I'll go, I'll go two points of essence loss, and then I'll stop. I swear to God, I'll stop this time. It's like that. Just one more? Yeah, yeah, just one more. And, and, then, and then you're in a bad run. It goes, it goes sideways, and you take deadly damage. And uh, your your medical alert bracelet fell off, so they they use they use the most powerful compounds they can to bring you back. You come back, you fail the roll. Oh crap! Now your magic attribute's only three. Now you're okay, on. Your I gotta way. say. Okay. Go I just gotta say this whole deadly damage versus non-deadly damage thing. I find that really a questionable distinction because, for example. Whether or not losing my arm is deadly damage is going to depend on how quickly I treat it. If sure, if I tourniquet it effectively immediately, I shouldn't die. I'll be fine as long as I don't get infected. But on the other hand, if I don't tourniquet it effectively or or really soon, then you'll certainly die from it. Yes, you will lose consciousness from blood loss, fall into into a coma very quickly, and then quickly thereafter die. Now, once you lose consciousness and fall into that that coma state, and you are brought back, help finally arrives. At that point, you roll to see if you lose magic points or a. Magic okay. Number. Okay. So okay, I think it makes more sense. Yeah, it's now. it's not not until you're on the doorstep of death and then brought back do you have to make this roll. 
Got it? Yeah, that, that I see it now. Great. Same page, love it. Okay. Well, that worked out really well. I like that. All right, and our next slide is... <gasps> oh, where I got three the That's right, kids. It is. Garth so I guess we're going to be talking oh, about comics next. And, uh, definitely something I'm interested in, and I always enjoy the comic poll section because okay. if you're like me, I'm really far behind. And so, yeah. Yeah, you, you can't talk over it. Oh, it's going now. It's going oh, now. I'm sorry. I paused it, obviously. But uh, no, that's my fault. I did not prepare you for this section. Yeah, you're not going to be able to hear this. You'll only be able to hear this on Twitch. So if you want to hear it, you'll have to uh, mute, 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 mute yourself or don't, don't hold your push to talk and turn your Twitch audio back on. There will be a 10 to 12 second delay. But uh, go ahead and, and, and pipe up if you want, want me to stop. You have something pertinent to say, okay? I'll take your silence as a yes. Got it. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Three big books and read them out to you so you can understand what's happening and maybe form an opinion that's just a little better than what you had would have had otherwise. But that's okay, kids, because we got three books. First coming at you this week is Superman number 18 from DC Comics. It's Mick Gray and Patrick Leeson, who also did the cover. Interesting book, number 18. Basically, it's going over a nice happy day in the Clark Kent household. It's apparently Lois Lane's birthday. Clark... Superman made her a nice pineapple upside down cake for her birthday. Their son John gives her a nice present. And they all talk about how they love each other and how they can't see a future without John. Aw, oh, isn't that sweet? Well, kids, you know what that happens then. You know everything's going to go straight to hell. Um, a mysterious figure shows up on the door and leaves a book that John finds. The mysterious figure is none other than Clark Kent from another world. You see kids about the same time that uh, Superman, the uh, good old-fashioned John Byrne Superman, who appeared uh, during the shortly before Rebirth um, to make up for the new 52 Superman, who was less than stellar and no one liked. Uh, at the same time, another version of Clark Kent appeared who did not have Kryptonian powers. So this is interesting. Um, when everyone grabs the book that he left to start looking through it, it's a photo album full of pictures, but none of the pictures have Lois Lane in them. I mean, there's Clark Kent at the Daily Planet, Clark Kent doing stuff, Clark Kent with Lana Lane in high school, but no Lois at all. Um, all of a sudden, strange stuff starts happening, and like their piece of the house look like they're on some sort of strange white fire. They start disappearing. Um, it even starts happening to their son John. Of course, they start freaking out, trying to do everything they can to protect him, trying to get the flames off him. And in the end, John, Superman and Lois' son, fades away in Superman's arms. As though he never existed. They still remember him, which is nice. So that leads, of course, to them trying to track down this other Clark Kent and find out what the hell is going on. Because you've now pissed off Superman. There's one thing he will protect more than anything. It is his family, and you have just messed with them. Not smart, kid. 
But then again, maybe this other Clark Kent is trying to protect his life. So who knows what's going on there? Uh, this is also like the first time there's a notable crossover with action comics. Uh, the other, the main Superman title, the good old classic Golden Age Origins action comics. Most like Batman originated in DC Comics, Superman originated in action comics. Anyway, so in action comics, there's been a big deal going with Oz, uh, a big super prison of such. And so they have this giant super prison, and it looks like someone just escaped from Oz, and their cell is full of scratchings that Superman will save them. So they haven't said who that is or what's going on. That's another plot hook they're putting in there. Uh, interesting turn for the Superman comic. I really enjoy the Superman Son storyline. Uh, I've enjoyed the story so far. I don't know if I like the idea of like setting up a plot hook because he disappeared and such, but you know what? It's still good reading. It's entertaining. I enjoy the comic. Uh, the art is set up very well. You get a great sense of panic with what's going on. Uh, one can say the art's a little cartoony, but I, that's kind of how this book's been going, and it works very well for what they're for the light-hearted nature the comic usually is. This comic's kind of dark this time. But still, it managed to convey everything very well. I like the pacing. I like... I said it a lot, don't I? I like the way the art is laid out. I like how it's framed. I like how all of a sudden these things change from the happy birthday party um, to the stranger. All of the coloring of the panel starts to get a little darker. And things start going to heck and everything is darker and darker. So they do a great job with you know using the medium effectively. Like the book, uh, it's a great starting point if you want to start getting into a Spider-Superman, and why shouldn't you? I will give it a three and a half out of five. Little, some things are a little too plot hooky for me. Um, once things start happening, it's kind of obvious what's going on. With, oh no, he's going to disappear. You know, the instant they said, "I can't picture a future without you," essentially, you know, this stuff's hitting the fan right there. But it's kind of fun. Uh, but still, three and a half, maybe even four out of five for Superman number 18. Let us move on to our next book. We are going to talk about an amazing Spider-Man event, Dead No More, The Clone Conspiracy Omega, number one. See, I thought that they couldn't get a longer title, but they managed to add the word Omega to it, and that made it even longer. So, applause. Applause to Marvel for making another insanely long title even longer. I think this might be a one-shot. I hope it is. It probably isn't. The uh, Basically, it's a very interesting book that's going on here. It is written by Chris Osgage, Dan Slott, and Peter David. There are multiple stories in the book. There's what the main story, story is what we're going to talk about. Uh, penciled uh, art is Mark Bagley, classic Spider-Man artist now. Uh, Stuart Ember and Corey Smith. Great stuff. The cover art is James Heron. Good job with the cover. I like it. Uh, Clone Conspiracy is finished. All that crazy stuff happened. Um, nothing really got resolved. Uh, just uh, Peter Parker screwed up. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, but this picks up with picking up the pieces. It's like, what do we do now? Um, the whole new you thing has been exposed. Uh, Parker Industries webware is pretty much tanked at this point because he hacked all of his devices to save the world. You know, you can call that a good handoff, but some people aren't going to treat that too kindly. But the main thrust of the main story is that when they're picking the pieces, Rhino is just holding the ashes of what used to be his recloned, reincarnated dead wife, Oksana, who he loved dearly. And now he has lost everything. Now, the smart thing to do, of course, would be to leave him the heck alone. But, of course, 
That doesn't happen. The uh, while the when the shield authorities come in and start cleaning the place up, they're not trying to be jerks about it. They're just trying to do their job and contain the place. A lot of dangerous stuff happening there. They're about to bother Rhydon. You know, Spider was like, "Well, you know, I want to leave him alone. He's not bothering anyone. Just leave him alone. Let him go." And then later, when they have to question or detain him, you know, he of course blows a gasket because he has lost everything. He has nothing to lose. He starts pounding the snot out of people. So the shield guys, you know, at, at Spider Assistant back off. Spidey engages him. But instead of like, I like that it doesn't turn into just a big brawl. It actually is Spider-Man trying to, try to talk him down the whole time, saying, look, we've all lost something here. This is not ideal. This is terrible. And Ryan's like, yeah, how do you go on? How do you? How? And there's kind of a cheesy line, but I kind of liked it. You know, you just keep moving forward. You do what a rhino does. You put your head down and move forward. And eventually things get better. And I kind of liked that. It was nice to see Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, relate to his enemies, especially someone like the Rhino, who's actually kind of a tragic figure. Um, relate to him and try and calm him down and not just turn it into a punching match. It was kind of an obvious setup, but it was fun. It was nice to see. I really enjoyed the book. Had a nice setup. The characters I thought were true to form, I, and I enjoyed reading it. Uh, at the end, Rhino does agree to go with the S.H.I.E.L.D. officers, and Spider-Man promises to check in on him so he can see how he's doing, and Rhino says, good, yeah, then I can see how you're doing, too. And I liked that. You know, it was kind of like, I know you're. this has messed with you really bad, too, Spidey, so, you know, we'll help each other out. I kind of like that, because... Rhino's a villain, but he's not really a bad guy, you know? I, that's one of the things, like, with the Amazing Spider-Man movie, where they had the Rhino, they just did such a great disservice to the character. Actually, that movie did a great disservice to all the characters. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Anyway. But, good book. I liked it. I uh, had a nice sub-story with Spider-Man talking with the Kingpin, Wilson Fisk. Didn't like that story as much. Um, just because it gets with a fight, and it looks like Kingpin, like, contacted Spider-Man just because he wanted to talk to him, and it doesn't look like, or you don't get any impression of it from the story, that the Kingpin's guards when he assaulted him, but Spider-Man's, like, beating all these guys up and trashing a restaurant for what apparently is no reason. It seems like Spider-Man's throwing a hissy fit the whole time. You don't contact me, I contact you, that's not how it works. You owe me a favor. I'll contact you when I need one. You know, it's like, dang, Spidey, back the hell off. Calm, why? It just, and then, you know, it ends really abruptly with the king just saying, because I have something I know you'll want. And it's basically, it's like, I, I know who's messed with you, and I know where they find it. Well, yeah, Norman Osborn. And he holds up a thunderhead. As far as like, okay, is it, I'll give you the information. We call it even. As far as like, deal. And it ends. Didn't like the art very much. It worked, it was dynamic, but it was kind of rough. I didn't like how they showed the Kingpin. The Kingpin's always been a big guy. But the way they drew him, it looked more like the slug. He was just grossly fat. And that didn't make any sense for Kingpin, who is like a sumo wrestler. He's big, wide, tough. You know, he can go hand in hand with Spidey and have a decent chance. He won't win in the end, because he's insanely strong. But, uh... So I didn't like the depiction of the Kingpin. I didn't like the characterization of Spider-Man. I liked how the character of the Kingpin was done. I didn't like how the character was done. So to me, it rang hollow for both characters, well, for Spider-Man. 
I didn't like it. I liked the end result of the story. I kind of liked where I liked the idea of the story. I hated the execution. Art was the best part about it, and a couple lines. So that part I didn't like. So in the end, a good read, unnecessary. If you're just getting the Spider-Man main book, or if you're thinking I want to buy some Spider-Man, uh, you could leave this one. But it was a good book, fun to read. Don't regret buying it. And I will give it. You know, if it was just on the strength of the Rhino story, I can give it a four to five happily. But the Kingpin story, and I think there's a there's another story in there that drags it down. Didn't like too much. Uh, I don't even remember it. So bad it was. So I'm going to give this a three and a half out of five. Yeah, these other two sub stories. They're sub stories. They're not nearly as long or as in depth as the main thrust with Rhino. So I'll, I'll give it a three and a half out of five. If it, if it actually didn't have those extra stories, it would have got more points. So, uh, you know, nice try, but those extra stories really just hurt you. Let's go on to our last comic. Our last comic is highly anticipated. It has been hyped for months by Marvel on the hype train. Um, it is something that all the comic outlets are talking about, that I've seen tons of people tweeting about. It's a big storybook right now, and that is America. Number one. Uh, basically, America Chavez, who's currently the leader of the Ultimates, uh, getting her own comic. Everyone's, uh, as the Marvel blurb states, everyone's favorite no-nonsense powerhouse, America Chavez, gets her own series. Written by critically acclaimed young adult novelist Gabby Rivera and drawn by all-star artist Joe Quinones. Blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the thing, folks. Um, written by Gabby Rivera, art by Joe Quinones. Uh, this book, to me, is really polarizing. First, let's talk about the art. The art is very okay. It's not great. I would call it good most of the time, and sometimes lazy. Um, the panel structures are okay, uh, the coloring really needs work. It's just a lot of blank pastel, like a lot of huge splashes of pastel. It's like, uh, well, I'll draw a main character, I'll color him in, and this wall, it's just pastel pink, and this wall is pastel green. You know, it's like, I don't. They're trying to do an impression, but to me, it just doesn't work, and it's sloppy. And for a number one issue, I wanted better art. The art starts out good and seems to and slides. It gets worse and worse as the issue goes on. If they're trying to show something with that, then I, you know, hats off to them. But honestly, to me, the artwork just slides worse and worse as the comic goes on. But as to the comic itself, is it good? Well, here's the thing. Uh, if you think that Barack Obama was the greatest president America ever had, and he should have had at least eight more years in office, at least then this book is a 5 out of 5. Hell yeah, 5 out of 5. If you think that, you know, you didn't really agree with the previous administration, you thought there were some flaws in it, you don't necessarily love the new one, maybe you do love the new one, maybe not. But if your opinion is anything other than the strict Democrat Party Barack Obama love, anything other than that, this book will just have you raising your eyebrows a lot and wondering, 
Why is she in an international, uh, sorry, an intergalactic space college named after so, uh, Judge Sotomayor? That doesn't make any sense. I, I didn't know Judge Sotomayor had intergalactic space powers or something that she did something worthy enough to name this after her. And there's a lot of stuff like that in this book. So that's where we are. I cannot really give it a fair rating because I just find it so politically polarizing. Most comic books, even if they have a slant to them, much like the old Green Arrow, Green Lantern team-up book where they're traveling across America and taking hero into the streets and seeing the little man, that was still a good comic, even if it did have a slant to it or they were trying to do a message. A lot of comics do that. This comic is, to me, pure propaganda. You know, they might as well see, it might as well say at the top, the DNC brings you America Chavez. Because that's pretty much what you're getting here. And that's sad. Because I like the character. I've liked America Chavez for years, and I think this comic is a disservice to her. Not necessarily because I politically agree or disagree, but just because it's so one-sided. And I can't root for a character who, to me, to me, isn't showing superhero qualities. And, well, that's not fair. She shows superhero qualities, but everything around her seems to very much be one way. One way is the right way of thinking. And I don't like it. So, if you love Barack Obama, and you wish that he had eight more years in office, and the, damn, the Constitution be damned... He was doing the right thing. This is a 5 out of 5 book. If you don't think that's true, then this is a 2 out of 5. Maybe 1 out of 5. Depending on how you feel about the art. So, I cannot recommend it. Actually, I can recommend it for if you have any friend who's currently wearing a Resist t-shirt and who has gone to any marches opposing the current president, this is their comic book. This is their time. They will love it. If you have a friend with a Make America Great Again hat, don't show them this book. Unless you want to give them some kindling, because that's what will happen. And uh, so that is my review of America number one. Yeah, sad. So, thank you very much for listening to Garthon's comic poll this week. I'm sorry I couldn't be there live, but life happens. But I know that the heathen dog is taking good care of you. Hopefully the Algarians are there too. I'm sure he is. And they are just entertaining the pants off you and you're wondering why we've listened to this Garthon guy in the first place. But anyway, we will be back next week. Thank you very much. Remember to like and subscribe to the Legion of Myth. Tell your friends. Tell your foes. Tell everyone you knows. Legion of Myth is here to rock the house. Thank you very much. And good night. Okay. Well, that was good. Uh, there, there's some stuff he left out of the America comic that he told me in private that I'm not going to go ahead and say. <clears throat> All right, Cthulhu, um, are you there? Hey. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? I can. Did you uh, remute your Twitch? I did, but unfortunately I was a little behind, so I, I didn't get to hear how many stars he gave America. Two. Possibly one.
if you didn't if you didn't really oh, right. yeah i'm not familiar with any of those creators i have to say um i don't know i find it weird when people talk about the american political parties and prescribe any kind of ideological meaning on them Right, right. I mean, because it, I, yeah, yeah. I find them kind of ideologically meaningless. They, they, they just—they're clearly incoherent and inconsistent. So I have trouble knowing exactly what he means when he was talking about, you know, if you liked Barack Obama and stuff. Okay. I, what, I don't what, what he's really saying, get that. What, what he's saying is uh, that book, America, is an alt-left propaganda tool. I mean, it is seriously, seriously. If—if—if uh, if, if you don't believe in transgender rights and believe in, in in the woman's right to choose and believe that the Republican Party is out to to kill you and take all your stuff for, for the for themselves, then you're gonna think this book is is making fun of you. It still seems like I mean I haven't read it, so I don't know, but that sort of talk usually in my experience is conflating lots of things that don't really need to be related. No, th that was just an example. I mean, if, if 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 you follow those three tenets in your head that I just said, then this book is aligned to you. But the thing is, ju just like just like I said earlier in the in in the Shadowrun segment, uh, they stay away from God, religion, and politics because these are polarizing things, just like he said, and it's the exact opposite of getting a wide fan base. Well, well let me say this, right? Like he brought up the the hard traveling heroes run, yeah. right? In, in the the one of the iconic messages from that was when Ollie's given Hal the business, and he's like, or no, it wasn't Hallie. It was it was a guy that um, I think Ollie took him to meet. It, it was an African-American guy, a black guy, and he had said, oh, you know, you'll fight for the green people and the orange people and the purple people. Why don't you fight for the brown people or something like that? Yeah. And so it seems to me that that's a moral position, not a political position. And it seems to me that when people, it seems to me that when a lot of times when folks will talk about complain about politics in whatever, they're complaining about moral views in whatever. And I don't think that either of the two political parties in the United States have consistent, coherent moral views. Um, and I, it seems to me they don't really care either, right? Because I mean, having a consistent view could be used against you. It's better to just make shit up to get, I'm sorry, oops, make stuff up to, to get elected. So in a book like this, if, you know, she's fighting for, you know, the rights of women, it seems to me that that's a moral position. On the other hand, if she's like going after the RNC and, and, and Garthan talked a lot about the DNC, those would seem to be political positions but it seems to me that the two don't have to be related. You are correct, and and I, I will say that. But he's just using it as an example because in the last 10, maybe even 20 years, uh, um, politics has been so polarized. Like the, you know, the, 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 the uh, Democrats have gone so far left and the Republicans have gone so far right that he used it as an example that people can understand rather than explain, uh, uh, go, go into uh, murky, you know, moral and, and ethical explanations that, that, you know, most people may not get. I mean, he, 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 he wants you to get an idea of the book 
and for him that was the best way to to convey that idea and without reading the book i can't say if he was right or wrong with that, yeah. with that initial assessment so i mean the other thing i know like i don't know a lot about the character and i don't really know how much there is to know but the book she was in before young avengers never i mean i read the whole i never thought about politics while i was reading it well yeah i mean he, he maybe i was just and i don't know maybe it was it, but um she was great i mean i loved the book and it was a team book so you know characters fit well in the team i don't know if they could support their own book like her for instance i don't remember her real name i just know she was america and she was like from a parallel universe where i think her parents were like the main superheroes like imagine if superman and wonder woman shacked up i Not think it was something groups. like that yeah i was trying to you know you know keep it pg since i've dropped a few uh cuss words but one. anyhow oh, okay that was, that's not so bad she was kind of like the she played the straight man she was the the muscle in the straight man and uh that was kind of her role in there so i i don't really know much about her in a well-rounded sense but she worked really well and she was interesting enough in that book it was a great book overall like loki was in it when loki was a kid so you had his deviousness and his manipulation and his trickster um and a lot of times the two of them were foils because she was such a straight man cool okay what else you got throw throw one at me something right around your brain okay so i don't know a few things around my brain one thing that's rattling around in my brain that i don't really know a lot about so it's kind of good to be able to talk about because i just found out about it so I, for folks that don't know, I teach philosophy and ethics at a community college where I live. And um, outside of that, one of the things I love is finding new and crazy ideas. And science fiction is a, a genre I love for that reason. <clears throat> and I'm every so often I come across something where, something where, where a thing I read about in science fiction is happening, it's real. Like we, you and I have talked about in the past with Shadowrun, well, you know, maybe types of viruses. Or I remember when I first read about um, using um, this, this artificial graft onto bones to strengthen bones. It was like, you know, nanotubing or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, I remember reading about that in the Shadowrun source book like that's 20 called, years ago. It's called bone lacing. Yeah, exactly. Like, wow, that's real. Oh my gosh. Well, anyhow. Just earlier this week, I came across an article that talks about something I didn't even know existed. And uh, I haven't read the article yet, so I don't have a lot of details, but I figured I would share this idea because it, it, it maybe sort of ties into some of the stuff you've actually talked about in previous RNGs. <clears throat> so if you're ready, I'm going to read the abstract of this article. And the title of the article is Getting Moral Enhancement Right. The desirability of moral bioenhancement. Wait, what? Is this brain altering? I think so. Oh my god! But it's not just. Well, well okay. L l let me read it because I was looking up stuff on the morality of um, human enhancement. You know, like, do you want to make if you're a parent and you're gonna have a baby, do you want to make your baby extra smart? Is that right or wrong? Yeah, it's or like stuff a, like that. A la Gattaca or. Uh or Star Trek, stuff like that. 
Yeah, exactly, right? So th that's what I was sort of looking up when I came across this. And this seems to be a new type of bioenhancement that had I had never thought about it like this before. So here's the abstract. The authors say that we respond to a number of a blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know what? That's kind of weird. Yeah, so here's hard. what... Well, bring it down low. Yeah, yeah. So these guys are writing this article to defend their position that we should pursue genetic and other biological means of morally enhancing human beings. Because at this point in human history, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, humans can wipe out all life on Earth and our traditional methods of, of learning about ethics, right, education, excuse me, um, are insufficient. It's easier for us to harm than benefit. And so we should engage in moral bioenhancement. Okay, that's like 18 red flags right there, just in the first couple of sentences. Well, it's darn weird, right? But, but so one of the things that, like, their basic setup, the problem that they identify is it's an interesting problem. Like, I, I never really quite thought about it. But they say, if we look at evolutionary history of humans, throughout the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of human evolutionary history, humans have lived in small societies that, that were small enough for them to know pretty much everybody, and their technology only permitted them to affect their immediate surroundings in the immediate future. Okay, got it. But about 50 years ago or so, that changed. And it seems like it's going to keep changing even more. Because about 50 years ago, humans acquired the power, some humans, to end the human race, which you know obviously would affect more people than they knew and have effects further in the future than, than you know, is almost conceivable. They talk about how um, other types of harms, you know, like environmental damage, uh, bioweapons, possible nanoweapons, stuff like that. Now, all these things allow us humans to do worse things than we are evolutionarily equipped to handle. Okay, I'm going to have to push eject on this one. Uh, just because this thing is pie in the sky, never going to happen. There is no, no uh, group of people in the world that are in charge of other people. They're going to say, you know what? Yep, let's let's rubber stamp this thing. Let's let's get this going, because those people would soon be lynched. There is no way someone is going to allow you to genetically alter their child to be nicer to people. The reason being is because unless everyone gets this, those people are going to be the sheep. They're going to be slaves to the ones who are not. Okay, so let, let me respond to that, because that, that's an interesting point. And there's two things I want to say. Because I'm not sure I agree with them, but, but I'm not convinced by your points. And there's two reasons why I'm not convinced. The first is the saying that comes from the great science fiction author, um, whose name I just blanked on. Oh, well, whatever. He said, the future is already here. It's just not distributed evenly. And we can see that. I mean, the fact that you and I are doing what we're doing and people are listening to it the way they're listening to it. And then there's another billion people that can't, you know, get clean water and food. So I'm not sure that the unequal, unequal distribution of genetic enhancement 
would prevent it from occurring. I mean, there's already genetic enhan enhancement of some sorts available. Well, hang on, uh, no, and not stop, everybody stop. gets I, it. I have to, I have to, I have to break down that point because uh, the whole premise of this was that the the unmodified human in 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 their premise is a danger to all human life. Now, he would be even more dangerous to the modified human. I mean, it it, it would be like it'd be like throwing throwing a python into a baby's crib for crying out loud. You 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 have the normal human, which which on average is is capable of great depths of awfulness, and then you have this this genetically engineered person who is simply not. He cannot respond to things like that. Unless you had an incredibly fast equal distribution, there is no way that that that, that new subset of people is going to survive without be, you know being survive period without being killed or survive out, outside of some kind of a second class citizen role because they they will not be able to defend themselves in the way that they're being attacked. Well, I don't think that they're arguing that we need to use bioenhancement to make people nicer. I think what they're saying is that we actually lack the cognitive capability of figuring out the right and wrong thing. Like we, we, our power to influence events is so vast that we can't weigh the pros and cons. I don't believe to figure that. out what the right thing to do. Do you is. actually believe that? We should. I don't know if I believe it or not. We should have wiped ourselves but I already. I think it's interesting because I think if it's true, so I think the way I the way I think it's interesting is this: one, I think if if we agree that we have an obligation to do the right thing, right? So if you believe in any kind of morality at all, if as currently constituted we're incapable of figuring out what the right thing is, then it would seem to follow that we would have that moral obligation to put ourselves in a position to figure out the right thing. Yeah, but that, that's where you get the stumbling block. Uh, most people will not agree with that, that, that we don't have the ability to, to make the right decision. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, does, it doesn't, in terms of what's right and wrong, what's true and false, it doesn't matter what people believe, certainly not what most people believe. I mean, the shape of the world didn't magically transform. Okay, 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 I, I, will, I will rephrase. Uh, I do not believe that the human race as a whole has lost the ability because of our, our far-reaching powers to to not make the the uh, the moral decision to protect ourselves as a species, because like with the whole uh, mutually assured destruction thing, we should have been killed already. We should have killed each other already. If we weren't able to do that, we should all already be dead right now. But we're not. Okay, so let's go with that. Right? Is it that the human race was capable of handling that, or did we get lucky because we only had two people to worry about? Oh no 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 no! There it was always more than two people involved in that. Whole well, I, I don't literally on, mean on two side. human beings, I but I mean two two sides, right? And yeah. now we have what at least seven, and you know I'm not sure how many more we'll get, but I can't imagine it's going to shrink. Like, how many do you have to get before someone the system becomes less stable? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, when you have two, you know, you can get that. I mean, part of the point of mutually assured destruction was, you know. Hey, listen. We've each got it pretty good, all things considered. Do we really want us all to die? Well, actually, no, maybe actually, not so much. This, this this conundrum was tackled in the movie GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra. Really? Okay. Yes. I I think I saw that movie, but I have to say I don't remember this. It was so tackled you have to... in that uh, in in this uh, the the president of the United States uh, being being masqueraded by by the chameleon. 
uh, launched all of the U.S. nuclear missiles at at like six other countries whose whose leaders were in the room with him. Uh huh. And he said, "Well, what do you, what do you do now, boys? What are you gonna do? What's your next play?" And these leaders con- were confirmed that yes, he really did launch all these missiles. So they all launched at the United States. Was this the first G.I. Joe movie or the second one? I'm not sure. All I know is it's G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. But, uh, okay. And then the president went, oh, uh, you probably didn't see this coming. He, he, he self-destructed all his missiles. Now, what are you going to do? Are you guys going to uh, go good on history as, okay. as being mass murderers? Are you? Uh-huh. Even North Korea destroyed their missiles in this one. Okay. So, solved. Solved. If if North Korea can 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 abort a strike, they were the last ones, though. To be fair, <laughs> they were the last ones. Uh-huh. Uh, if 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 the leaders of, of the actually the leader who was there uh, of of North Korea could could decide, no, I am not. Even though I was provoked horribly, I am not going to go down as the guy who 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 mass murdered someone who who has no 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 ability to respond anymore. I think. Okay, so if you f- think that that's the way it's going to work, then I would say you have more faith in the human race than I do. Well, apparently I'm I'm one of these evolved humans. Yay, <laughs> you're, you're optimistic. Yay! <laughs> I'm evolved. Who knew? <laughs> All right, let's so, move on. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> uh, now, uh, uh, in, in Al's segment, he said that, that uh, um, El Garam is probably here. Well, obviously he's not because he fell off a cliff and died. But uh, um, <laughs> I, I reached out to other people, and uh, Bob, uh, I wanted him to come on here, and he said, no, I got, I got, already got prepaid tickets to see Logan. And I'm like, uh-huh. all right, fair. That's, that's fair. I got, I got nothing to respond to that. I'm like, oh, no, you're betraying me. I'm like, nope, you're going to see Logan. That's fine. Uh, I've seen the trailers. I've seen all the trailers. I've seen all of it. And it seems super dark at first. I mean the 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 whole music that they play. I mean the the whole state of the world where where mutants uh-huh. are are either dead or dying off, and and Charles Xavier seems to be uh, mentally ill. And it's like, wow, this is gonna be super dark. And then this little kid comes in with with powers and abilities just like Logan. And now I feel like just looking at the trailer, I feel like oh they're they're gonna pivot halfway through to like you know a, a brighter future type thing. Somehow. So at at, at uh-huh. the end, at the end, it's going to be measurably less dark than in the beginning. Okay. I think that's how it's going to go. I mean, you've seen the trailers too. What do you think? I have seen the trailers, and I would assume just because no matter how, you know, dark it is in some of its trappings... I don't think it's really going to be dark. I mean, just because there's a lot of blood and and you're supposed to take it real serious and what have you, doesn't mean I think that a big budget superhero movie is going to have some kind of nihilistic downer ending. So I figure the most is that it would be kind of like that movie Children of Men from years ago, where you're in sort of this post-apocalyptic nightmare world and the whole movie is kind of about this journey to hope and, and you never exactly get a happy ending but you get the ending that gives you the promise that it could get better right. and that's kind of what I would expect at the least that you're going to get with Logan I mean yeah, sounds about right. yeah you know it's not, like did you ever read the um, storyline where the Reavers came to 
um, Australia and and got revenge on the X-Men. No. It, it was pretty good. It was like classic um, mid-ish 90s. I think it might have been part of Fall of the Mutants. It was when Mark Silvestri was drawing the book and uh, one of the famous covers from that had Wolverine being crucified on this giant wooden X. And, you know, I would say, I don't think that's how this movie will end. <laughs> like that, I think that would be too dark. Yeah, that would be pretty dark. You're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I think that's going to... Yeah, I, I think they're they're going to pivot in this thing. And uh, at the end of it, you're going to come out with a little bit of hope. Where in the beginning, they're, I think they're going to purposely try and smash it away. So, so they can build you back up. Yeah, and I think it works like... I think one of the ways that Wolverine as a character worked, at least he always worked for me, was when he was the crotchety old grumpy guy. Yeah, yeah. And now he's like super crotchety. He's like grizzled. He's like super Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gets to be super grizzled and you get to play him off against, you know, the the, the young girl who I believe she's she's the female Wolverine character from the comics. X twenty three. Yeah. And I, I don't know a lot about her from the comics, but um has, my understanding she is has, she's like a she has a, a claw that comes out of each foot as well. She's basically got his power set, right? Yep. Basically, yes. I'm not. I'm not sure about uh, his increased senses because I haven't. I haven't really. I haven't really read read the comic very much. I've only read. I've only read overviews of it. But uh, she definitely has healing factor and his, and his adamantium claws. And uh, in the latest trailer, they actually showed uh, the the procedure she was going through to get the claws put in. And then she was in a holding Ouch. cell. She was she was using the claws to cut her forearm, and then watching it heal. Okay. Like, that was her pastime, apparently. I mean, I would have probably given her blocks at this point or anything, Legos or whatever. <laughs> you know? Some, yeah. A crayon, something, man. Because <laughs> this, is, this is not good for someone's psyche. Just to be cutting themselves and go, wow, this is healing. This is healing. That's great. Just cut you again. Yep, still healing. Cut you again. No, okay, stop. Yeah. Stop. You're, you're, on, you're on a runaway train. Time to get off. Here, uh, draw, draw me a cloud. You know, something. But uh, they, they didn't show you in that, but okay. Yeah, well, I think it's rated R, so maybe, you know, she's... Maybe there's probably a lot of cutting in the movie. I assume there a lot a of people get cut. There is a whole lot of killing folk. There is a whole crap ton of killing folk by stabbing him in the chest. Like, hard. But, you know, that, that's why... That's that is kind of nice. That's what that's what we're that's the, how it works. Because... He, yeah, I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're um, old enough, like me, to, to have sat through many depictions of Wolverine where he wasn't obviously killing people. And this is a character whose who's main shtick and, and most prominent visible, visible superpower is he has giant claws. And, and claws pretty much are only good for, for killing people. Killing folk, yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. So it's really nice to see that the, the, the movie depiction of Wolverine has kind of come full circle in that regard. Yes, it, it, is, it is really back to your 80s Wolverine where you know, if you mess with him, he's gonna kill you, everyone around you. So that's yeah, not like happen. when he fights, he's not knocking people out. No, I mean, no, he's, he's not. fighting with his claws. He's definitely not knock, knocking folk out. He is he is cutting people's limbs off. He's he's full on he's full on kill bill these guys. Just exactly. Yeah. And, okay, so talking about X twenty three, like I said, I'm not really familiar with, but talking about that character a little bit and talking about um. Uh, Garthon was talking about it some when he was talking about uh, the Superman book with Superman's kid and uh, the America 
character is an example of this too. And it had me thinking about something. And, and you know, you're like me, we're kind of older. And we've seen a lot of um, new versions of superheroes, right? Like right. we weren't there to complain about Hal Jordan. We, you know, I'm sure there was some version of a fan, you know, back in 63 or whatever going, no. that's not Green Lantern. That's Green Lantern wears a red shirt. Yes, he, he wears a, <laughs> you know? a red shirt and, and his vulnerabilities would not a freaking color. What's wrong with you? Stupid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Complaining about space or something. I don't know. But um, it seems like today there are lots of people complaining about new versions of superheroes well, and, you know, and, and I don't know, I just no, wonder what you I, thought I about it. that. The reason being is because uh, the, these retcons happening are happening with more and more frequency. I mean, uh, the 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 uh, uh, main comic studios will not stick with something if it's not a success right away. They will change it again, change again, change again. They, they, won't, they won't push through. They used to push through. And sometimes it got better, some, sometimes it didn't. It, it got more popular, sometimes it didn't. But they're not willing to push through anymore. You know, they'll, 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 tell, they'll go to 10, maybe maybe 15 episodes. If it's not hitting, they'll, they'll, they'll change it. Or they'll just dump the book completely and start over. So would you say that, like, am I right in understanding your point as being, it's when people complain about new versions, they're not so much complaining about new versions as much as they're really complaining about the churn. No, I, th I think in their minds they really are complaining ab about the about the new versions. But um, the, the the reason that the companies uh, change tack is isn't because of the complaints. It's because that now they have access to real time money. Like, is this thing selling? If it's selling, they don't care about the complainers. The complainers are probably helping the brand keep it going. But if it's not selling, then they'll dump it right away without giving it really a chance to to go through even the very first story sometimes and i mean that's i know what really gets people i mean i mean I, you, you see this in tv a lot too i mean uh uh the next generation the very first season sucked it was yeah it was horrible acting it was it was horrible horrible uh dress the the the, the, the storylines were a little were, uh, a little bit stupid but they pushed through to the second season, third season, and they and all the actors gelled. They got they they got writers that could do it, you know, do their job. They 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 got uh, they got seamstresses and and uh, and and set seamstresses. <laughs> that was the problem with season one, really. Oh God, come on, <laughs> Troy's outfit. Give me a break, man. That was I spent that a was lot a of time thinking about Troy's outfit. Yes, as a I know young exactly. Man. See, they had to get away from that, but uh, uh, and and set designers to actually actually get get some good stuff going, and then they did it. It all came together. But in this day and age, uh, TNG would have been cut after the first season. That would have been dumped. I know with comics, through about the late 80s, comics, even though they had been, as every, I'm sure most people that follow comics know, comics used to sell, American comics used to sell millions of copies in the 40s, some of them, and even some into the 50s. But sales have pretty much been declining, you know, since action comics number one but even in the early 80s and through the mid like like through the early years of the direct market and through crisis and stuff like that so probably through at least 86 or 87 my understanding is that the books that the main publishers put out even you know random miniseries and, and mid-tier books still were highly profitable like a mid-tier book 
that wasn't very popular in 87 would have still sold a few hundred thousand copies or a hundred thousand copies. Okay. And nowadays, hardly any book will hit a hundred thousand copies. And you, and I'm talking not monthly, but even in a given year, even a really popular book may only hit that number occasionally right, right. And, and not for and long. Your, your argument is that their margins have become, have become so razor thin that they can't afford to, to keep something that's not making money out there. I certainly wonder about it, right? Well, it makes like, sense. Like, it makes perfect sense. I get it. I just I always find it weird when I hear people complaining, like people were complaining about, um, I know this one's old now, but they had that new Spider-Man, the old Ultimate, or not the Ultimate one. I don't know. Maybe it was the Ultimate, Ultimate one. But like the whole thing was he was black. And I remember like people complaining. And I'm thinking like, I've seen a bunch of different Spider-Man, and Marvel's not even bad about it, right? I mean, Marvel doesn't have a lot of versions of their characters like DC does. But I just thought it was really weird, and like I've seen people complain about X-23, and people complain about the new Hawkeye, and um, even, I guess they have like a new Thor and a new Captain America now. Yep. You know, and I mean, I haven't read any of these books, so I don't know if they're good or not, but, but I never really, like, I was never upset by it. The only one I was ever maybe a little upset by was uh and this is extra ironic because this was the third version of the character but uh was wally west because i really did grow up with wally west and and, and i miss him and i'll never have wally west as the premier flash yeah, see, back I, in my life i am the same way with hal jordan exact same way with hal jordan i mean hal jordan is the green lantern these other guys are all right but yeah <laughs> they're, they're no hal jordan okay i mean <laughs> you know you're old when you say stuff like that but yes uh, yeah hal, hal jordan uh um uh, he 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 went through the crucible when he was young. He had to beat up his teacher. He won. Uh, he had to he had to defeat literally fear itself. Uh, he trained a yeah, whole literally yes literally fear. He had to beat it and he did. And uh, he had to he he trained an entire generation of Green Lanterns who all looked up to him as a god. Well, because he was like yeah, he was the best so. one. Yes, he was the best of the best. And then. And then the, the, they wrote him into insanity, and then genocide, and then destroying the destroying the freaking universe. Like, come on, man! You're just you're killing my childhood. You're just stomping on it for no reason. Yeah, I think he even did it like at least twice, right? Like he he, he tried to mess it up in I don't know one of the big mini when he first got the Ten Rings and went crazy. Didn't he come back as a villain Zero Hour or something? Parallax. Was it? Yes, Parallax. Parallax right, right. Yeah, that's 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 when he tried to reboot the universe, just destroy it and start over. That was his whole plan. Yeah, because apparently he had enough willpower to save the universe and defeat gods and stuff, but not enough willpower to get over it. Yeah, pretty much. He didn't have enough willpower to to to, to get over the crap. Okay. Get, to, to get over like losing the woman who he never actually got around to committing to, like he couldn't commit to her. Yeah, yeah. But he could in reality, you know, to bring her back. But there was always that possibility, but now that possibility is gone. Yeah. Right. I felt even worse about Wally because how could I even complain when Wally was pushed aside to bring back the previous Flash? So, I mean, shoot, they did to bring back Barry. And I, I know Barry was there first, but I don't know. I'm more used to Barry being dead, being Saint Barry, Hero Barry, yeah. than. Um, yeah, everyone everyone remembers fondly, and oh, if only I was as good as Barry Barry, you know? Yeah, like that was my Barry. <laughs> my Barry was an unattainable role model, you know. Exactly, exactly. He was he was the Superman of of the Marvel universe in your head. He was a he was a pinnacle. He was a he was something to aspire to. Sure, you're going to stumble along the way, but as long as you get up and keep moving toward the goal, you're going to be a better you're going to be a better person. 
Or in this case, you're going to be more like Barry. Yeah, and I loved it because Wally felt that way. And that's how I kind of felt as a person reading comics. And since I always sort of thought of, from an early age, I thought of comics as being kind of um, moral experiments. Like, if you could not have to worry about getting shot and stuff, what would you do? Well, you go and you help people and you fight criminals. Duh, right? Um, and, and he could never live up to that super heroic idea but he still like kept doing it and he was kind of a goof sometimes and then he finally matured and got a family and you know really could relate to that dude yeah the reason he succeeded is because he had barry to keep striving for in his head you know just the the, the voice of barry in his head just just pushing him telling him what to do you know give him give him options like uh, what would barry do yeah so wwbd what would barry do it's in his head the entire time I also like to imagine what would uh, B.D. Wong do, just to be silly. Um, so, yeah, so that's one of those things. I mean, I don't know. I, I hear people complain about it and stuff, but when I think that they're being silly, then sometimes I wonder if that's just crotchety old man, get off my lawn talk. I get it, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset because it happens so often now. now. Nowadays it happens so often that I don't feel that they gave that other Superman a shot, like uh, uh, Garthon spoke to it in his thing, the the Superman of the of the new Fifty Two universe. No one liked him. They, they gave him a shot for like what a year, and then they and they killed him off. And, yeah, and that's an back interesting one. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't that bad. I mean, he was uh, he was written to be new to the game, so he's gonna yeah, make mistakes, yeah. and, and people aren't aren't gonna like him as much as they as they do a Superman who's been around for forty years and who's perfect at saving people. Well, yeah, man, they're not going to like him as much as him, but he can get he can get to there. I think actually you're exactly right, and because the first they gave him a few years, but the oh, first oh. year almost year of his book was written by Grant Morrison, who's who whether you like him or dislike him, he's an incredibly accomplished, acclaimed comic book writer, and the guy knows what he's doing, even if you don't always enjoy what he's doing, and that's exactly what he was doing. He had young you know, dumb butt Superman, making mistakes, being overconfident, just like, you know, when you're a kid and you're so sure this is right and that is wrong and you make mistakes, like, that's really how he was going with it. But I get the, I got the feeling that... The people the didn't immediately see that, you know? The well, they readers. didn't see it and they needed him to be other things for other books because that didn't really work in the Justice League. Right. And that didn't yes. really work with the dynamic people were used to between Superman and Batman and stuff like that. Also, yeah. So I, I feel like he kind of got stuck pseudo in that state, but also being like a full-fledged Superman. So he never really got to develop. But it would have been... I think it would have been cool if we got to really go through that kind of development. It would have been, been great to see. I really would have liked it. And and a lot a lot of people feel the same way, and I'm I'm sad it went the way it did, but I I personally of course since he didn't go through that development you know the old Superman is better, you know objectively better because he did go through that development and now he can save everyone with perfect you know perfect accuracy every time, because he's done it for forty years, I get it, but that the other guy would have got there man he would he would have gotten there he would he would he would have hit that plateau if you give him some chance. Yeah, I mentioned the the Silver Age or the pre-crisis Superboy earlier. Or I guess he's also post-crisis Superboy now, but um, kind of whatever. You know, the the one that went bad. Yeah, the the one that one that went nutters. Yeah, yeah I like the idea also of 
having kind of like reclaiming Superboy becoming a good person. Right. That well, no, we like we kind of did we, we we kind of did that with Connor, but he died too. Okay, what did happen to Connor? I never caught the end of Connor. Oh, I I, I forget exactly how it happened. I, I believe that Superboy Prime killed him. But but he went down swinging. Ah, he went down swinging. That's probably what it was. Yeah. I yeah, he's another one. I didn't really care for him in the beginning. I mean, he had that stupid leather jacket and those round sunglasses from the Return of Superman storyline. Remember? I mean, it's terrible. And I didn't really like him for a lot of the, the years he was around. But he did grow on me, and and eventually I liked him. And he was trying to do his own thing and become a real hero. And you know, I think that's a. I mean, it's almost the standard superhero story is yeah. people growing into these roles. Right. And then changing the people's minds through their actions day after day. As you get better, your popularity gets greater and people start trusting you more. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's real life. That, that, that's how it works. I mean, you know, you, you learn you to be better at your job. And once you get better at your job, people respect you for it. I get it. There it is. And that's but I guess actually, now they just replace you with somebody younger. <laughs> exactly. No. Uh, and that is actually, uh, well, now now it's a bad place to end, but it's a, it's a good place to go from here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. Uh, thank you, everyone, for, for listening. I really appreciate it and, and all, all of your comments on Twitch. I uh, hope you uh, come back for next time. This, this is going to be great. And, and uh, let's say a special thank you to as as, as I can't say it as your worm sixty six as your worm sixty six yes. Uh, like the comments and suggestions, we take them. Thank you very much. We love them. We will respond. Uh, Legion of Myth on the internet. Well, legionofmyth.tv, uh, Facebook.com/slash Legion of Myth, YouTube/slash Legion of Myth, uh, Twitter at Legion of Myth, and of course on Twitch/slash Legion of Myth. And, uh, Good night, everybody. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Say, say goodbye, Kula. Goodbye. Uh, Thank you for listening. Our, our, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, TuneIn, the LOMcast, at our Legion of Myth webpage, legionmyth.tv. Uh, you can support us with gear at shop.spreadshirt.com slash legionmyth or directly at patreon.com slash legionmyth. Opening theme, obviously, Ninja Gaiden, metal version, which is awesome, I love it. Everyone, I've never actually heard it. Oh, yeah. Everyone, thank you. Uh, to you, our viewers and fans. See you next week. Don't miss it.